Hey, Mysterions, I'm Shay. And I'm Jen. And this is CX3. Crimes, Cryptids, and Controversy. This is a weekly true crime and paranormal podcast. However, sometimes we get excited and we post more than once a week. So don't forget to subscribe to our CX3 podcast and keep up with our random episodes. With that being said, let's get into Jen's story. Today, we are discussing when a 15-year-old named Nicholas Wagner Browning, also known as Nick, kills his whole family while he's supposed to be at a sleepover with his friends. He then returns to the sleepover with his friends to play video games, hang out, eat, and then he proceeds to invite all of his friends, plus a whole bunch of other friends, to go back to his home and have a party the following night, where the crime scene's at. And if that isn't enough, just recently, almost 15 years to the day, something else has occurred in the same exact house. Is this coincidence or is this something paranormal going on during the month of February in that home on Powers Avenue? You know what that reminds me of is Eileen Wernos, how everything popped off in July for her. Oh, you're right. Yeah. When we did that episode, guys, go listen to it. It's bananas. All right. So imagine a 15-year-old sleepover. Remember when you were 15 and we all wanted to sleep over with our friends? Well, that's how the story starts. I was always starts. grounded. I was, <laughs> for the so I was always in trouble. <laughs> okay, well, imagine you had the perfect sleepover, okay? And you were going to go hang out with your three besties, all four of you are going to have a sleepover, and everything was cool. Aww. That's Fine. that's how this story started. Four teenage perfect. boys being boys, having a sleepover, playing video games. Well, the story definitely takes a huge mind-blowing twist during this sleepover. And then 15 years later, another possible twist is thrown in at the same location. Personally, I don't recall hearing about this case, the original case of this 15-year-old, maybe because I didn't live in Maryland. I'm not quite sure why I missed it. Maybe I wasn't keeping up with the news at the time. Either way, this case is very intriguing, devastating, heart-wrenching, and very emotional. <laughs> and upon researching and I was just about to finish up is when I came across the new events that just occurred this month. And we'll tell you all about that when we get to the end here. So hang in all the way to the end, guys. Yeah, this might very well wind up being a two-parter. So Nicholas Wagoner Browning, also known as Nick Browning. He was 15 years old and he was soon to be approaching his 16th birthday. That's very important here because, you know, Nick had certain ideas in mind for his 16th birthday. He was born February 9th, 1992, and he lived oh. in a house in the suburbs of Cockeysville, Maryland. It's like a mid to upper area, but it looks very okay. pretty in the pictures. Very nice in the picture. In photos, the house is quite large. Um, it's very well kept back then. The grass is very green. It looks very nice. And Nick was the oldest child of three from this respected family. He had two younger brothers. They were 13 years old and 11 years old. Nick's father's name was John. He was a local attorney working at Royston Mueller in nearby town, Towson, Maryland. Nick's mother, Tamara, was a stay-at-home mom. So the younger brothers seemed to be doing well. Everybody says the family was great. Um, they also had a vacation home in Deep Creek Lake in Western Maryland. And oh my God. Looked, I know, it looked really cool. I mean, there's pictures of them 
there and it looks like a good time. So Nicholas or Nick was an honor student at Dulaney High School in Timonium, Maryland. Nick played lacrosse, golf. He also liked to ski and he was a boy scout. Now okay. Nick's father, John, was the scout master and is also a church leader. So he was very involved. I mean, like, you know, later on, Nick will talk about him, but if you could imagine an attorney, an attorney is busy. And he's busy, yeah. busy going, going all week. Yet he's still trying to be involved as, you know, the scoutmaster and, you know, help with church and such. So, I mean, by all means, it looks like these parents were trying to be as hands on as they could. And they also worked and had life, too, you know? Yeah, like they were just doing all around the American dream. Right. On Friday, February 1st, 2008, Nick's parents, John and Tamara, as well as his 13-year-old brother, were driving Nick over to Ryan's house. Ryan is Nick's friend. Ryan Bingle's parents were there. Ryan's parents had other friends there. So these kids were not left alone by any means. Okay. Um, yes. So the two other boys directly involved here were named Taylor and Alex. The four all boys right. were all friends, and they were, by all means, having fun together. They were going to spend the night. Nick's friends stated that Nick had to leave to go obtain his car keys from his house which nick's parents kept in their bedroom so at i don't know around midnight to one o'clock somewhere in that time nick was telling his friends hey keep it quiet i'm gonna go walk down the street back to my house it's like a 20 minute walk and i'm gonna grab the car keys out of my parents bedroom so that i can take the car because you know he's almost 16 and this almost sounds like a normal thing for not normal, but something a teenager would do. Yeah, exactly. Like, so you just, you have your car, you got your whip, you're trying to go out. I'm unsure if the other boys were going to joyride with him, but that's what he was going to do. However, that's not what happened. Nick was nowhere to be found in the morning when the boys finally did wake up. So one of the boys called Nick at about 5 a.m. Nick said he fell asleep sitting in the car in the driveway of his house. So he got up and walked back over to his friend Ryan's house, which is about a 20-minute walk. Okay. Uh-huh. And so then the boys ate breakfast. They played video games. Nick apparently took a shower and proceeded to invite Nick, proceeded to invite all the boys to spend the night back at his house. So now we're on Saturday. So he's like, oh, hey, we had the party at Ryan's house. So now tonight, Saturday night, let's have the party at my house. And not only did he invite these three boys, he invited a whole bunch of other friends, too. Keeping the party rocking. Right? Unfortunately, there was not going to be a sleepover or a party. The police had to send people away and inform them there is no party, which interrupted their investigation multiple times. Oh. So what happened to this beautiful family, you might ask? Nick's 16th birthday was coming up soon. And according to Nick, his father was being, quote, uptight. Again. Oh. Mm-hmm about Nick going out with his friends and such. Right after his parents dropped him off at Ryan's house, Nick called his youngest brother, Benjamin, who was still at the house, and asked him to leave the back door of the house open for him. Being the younger brother of 11 years old, I mean, he's like, okay, it's my brother. He, left. he unlocks the back door and leaves it unlocked. Nick would later leave Ryan's, like I said, about midnight to one, and say he was going to get those keys. Instead, Nick entered the house and decided to get his father's gun, and he proceeded to shoot his father, John, in the head, who was sleeping Jeez. on the sofa on the main floor. Then he decided to go upstairs, shoot his mother, Tamara, in the head, proceeded to go into both brothers' bedroom and do the same 
to Benjamin and Greg. Why? All four were sleeping when he did this. What a little coward. Oh, that pisses me off. I know. I mean, you ask yourself, what in the world would possess a 15-year-old to act out such an assassination on his entire family? There's a much, much, much more said later on about possible abuse, his mother being an alcoholic, his father expecting too much from him, his father being upset quite often, his parents being too hard. But, you know, in my opinion, it seems like this is a case of an entitled, self-centered, very smart child who did not develop appropriate coping skills or had things maybe handed to him instead of having the rug pulled out from under him a few times. But of course, Mm -hmm. that's my opinion. And I know all of our listeners will have different opinions, but we'll get to that at the end of the story and see where we're rolling with those opinions. So we're going to contextualize this story a little bit. About five hours passed and Nick's friends woke up wondering where the hell Nick was at. One of the friends called Nick's phone And Nick said that he had fell asleep in his car waiting for the lights to go off in the house, like we kind of talked about already. So the reason he was waiting for the lights to go off is because he knew his parents would be asleep and he could sneak into their room, grab his keys, and, like, joyride back to his friend's house, so he says. Well, later on, Nick says that even when he woke at 5 a.m. in the car, all the house lights were still on and it didn't seem to make sense. But he still headed back over to his friend's house, walking, of course, because he couldn't sneak back into the house. Uh, he ate breakfast, played video games with the squad, and by some accounts, even showered. Nick then asked his friend to take him home early Saturday afternoon, and he seemed to make his friend super aware that he was calling all the phone numbers for his family, even the vacation home, and nobody was answering. Like, making a big production, like, oh my god, mm-hmm. friends. No and and not even that. He was also like given the emotions of he was worried that okay. nobody was answering the phone. In fact, like he even called like the that house in Deepwater or whatever it's called, the vacation house, and he even told mm-hmm. them like one of the friends were when they were interviewed were like he kept telling us how worried he was because he hasn't heard from them all morning long. Yeah, I'm sure you are worried, Nick, that you're gonna right. get caught. But it was it was overly <laughs> done. Like one of his friends yeah. I listened Unfortunately, I listened to these teenagers interviews and it's it's hours and hours for each of them. So it's it was a lot. I I didn't listen to every single minute, but I tried to listen to a lot of it. And the friends were super nervous. And it's amazing how teenagers will try to stick up for other teenagers for a Mm -hmm. long time. And these boys thought you can tell by listening to them that they really thought he was they were just covering up him joyriding his car around. Like that's the extent of what these boys really thought was going on. Right, because, I mean, I'm not going to assume my bestie's out killing his family, so right? can't imagine they are. All right, so Nick was making a big old production, the long and short of it. Nick also invited his friends to continue the party at his house later that evening. So after Nick arrived back at his house, he came out from the home and announced that he had found his father's body and 911 was called. Officers at the crime scenes were interrupted several times when Nick's friends arrived at the house expecting to find an ongoing party. All of the boys were taken to the police station and there were several hours of interviewing. Like we kind of already covered, the boys thought they were just being boys and covering up their friend's butt for joyriding, but uh, it's a lot more sinister. And Nick's interview was traumatic. Nick seemed to have a very guarded, flat, emotional affect. 
He would play games with detectives, manipulate their words, refuse to answer. And he started out appearing to think that he was going to walk out of the police station. He was donezo and he was fine. I mean, absolutely. Like this kid, the detectives, you know, they go through their 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 skills of mimicking him, of asking him to eat because, you know, they always want people to eat because then they always feel more comfortable. This kid puts Mm -hmm. the detective's chair closer and props his feet up on it after the detective's out of the room. He eats, he drinks. He carries on regular conversations with them until they start really, really pushing him. So now they've, you know, made that bond the first few hours. And then once they start in around three to three and a half hour mark, he gets just flat and quiet. He knows what's up. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, smart child. Oh, he's brilliant. I mean, unfortunately, <sighs> he is brilliant. However, I feel, I hope our listeners go and watch that interview. If they watch anything, watch Nick's interview. It, to me, is classic signs of a sociopath. There is a lack of emotion. There's a lack of remorse. There's a lack of understanding the issues. And we're not talking about a 15-year-old's lack of it. We're talking Mm -hmm. about when you see what an almost 16-year-old who hasn't been deprived of a social life or a family should be thinking it's not there with him. He is mimicking what they want to hear. He is going down roads of being devious and trying to clown around with these detectives in brilliant ways in his head. And it gets more interesting. So I don't want to give everything away. So Nick's palling around with the cops thinking he's probably getting away with this. Obviously, they're adults who've been doing this. So they're like, no. Nick starts getting more and more questions thrown at him. The detectives are really trying to like dig in, but Nick has the superiority complex. So he's like, "Uh uh-uh, no, I'm smart. He even starts to question the detective statements toward them um, Mm -hmm. and kind of like flipping the script. Mm -hmm. So he's like, there's a point in there where uh, Nick tells the detective, so what you're going to charge me with is the key that you found under my mattress? Like he starts, yeah, he starts really trying to control and manipulate the conversations and it's not working. (laughs) Okay. So repeatedly the cops, once they start pressing, ask Nick, do you really want us to be seen as a cold blooded killer? Tell us what happened. And they really start diving into him. Tell me what happened. I mean, maybe it was an accident. Maybe you have a reason. Maybe you were abused. Every time that the cops throw the little fish out there, a little hook for it. He goes in with it and it's like, well, yeah, or, you know, it took a little bit, but it seems like he really in his head was just trying to figure out how to get out of it because he realized he's not getting out of it. Eventually, yeah, he's screwed. Right. Eventually, Nick gives almost a fake small amount of motion. Like, it's very fake. Our listeners, please go watch that. It's it's so f- almost fake where he almost covers his face and is not even halfway crying. And then he, like, very flat. So the detectives are still trying to pry a reason. They want a reason. You know, why did this happen? There had to be a reason. There always has to be a reason, right? So they keep trying to get this reason out of Nick over and over. And there's really not anything Nick's telling them for a reason. The cops tend Uh to give reasons and Nick plays along. Uh, You know, what's in the cop was like, well, what, even if your parents are basically the problem, what's the reason for killing your 13 and 11 year old brother? And he. He just never really gives a reason of 
anything during the interview. He, in fact, he goes on during the interview to talk about, well, why would I kill my parents? And the, you know, just he starts you tell us exactly. And then he's like, he starts talking about money during the interview, and he's like, well, I have, I have everything. I mean, I'll have everything. And he even makes a snarky comment during the interview to one of the cops, and it's like, well, if there's nobody there, then they have to believe what I say. No, and, that's not how that works. Uh huh. And he even tells the cop like. Uh, that's fine. You can arrest me because in court, everybody will believe that it was a burglary. <gasps> oh, maybe till that point, you little idiot. It was crazy. It was crazy. Oh, my God. So eight days after the murders, Nick turned 16 years old okay. and, the, and he was in the nearby Baltimore County Detention Center, which was also on the same day of his family's funeral. Nicholas Wagner Browning was charged as an adult. He wanted to be charged as a juvenile, and some of the family even argued for that, and the judge was like, nope. His family supported him? They were oh like, gosh, oh, gosh, yeah, it no. gets crazy. So Nick confessed to killing all four of them and was charged with four counts of first-degree murder for the deaths of his father, John Browning, who was 45, his mother, Tamara, 44, and his brother, Greg, 13, and Benjamin, 11, and he was denied bail. Good. Well, yeah. So um, Baltimore County Police Spokesman Bill Tui said Nick had a disagreement with his father and he used his father's handgun to kill his family. I think I read part of the transcripts at the court. He went into the house and retrieved his father's gun, and I believe it was in the basement, and used it. So it was, you know, the fight back and forth over whether he should be tried as a juvenile, an adult, whether this was really first degree murder or whether something happened. The kid sat in the driveway and inside his car, per his saying, which I don't even understand that. And that didn't come up. I don't understand why his car door would have been unlocked. And I never saw that question come up from anybody. So he sat in the driveway for at least half an hour waiting for the lights to go out in the house. He went through the unlocked door to, I believe, the basement and got his father's gun and then went around and shot them all. So I don't know how it would be anything other than first degree murder. No, that takes effort. Like you kind of, you have to plan. You have to be systematic. You can't just oopsies four times. So then they asked Nick where he put the gun at. And he said he threw the gun away in bushes near his house. So for the timeline, to get this straight, on the evening of Friday, February 1st, 2008, Nick killed his entire family. Saturday morning at about 5 a.m., Nick returned to his friend Ryan's house. Saturday at about 5 p.m., Nick returned to his own home where he was going to have a party with all of his friends, and 911 was called. Sunday, February 3rd, 2008, Nick was arrested and charged with the murders. And then Saturday, February 9th, 2008, Nick turned 16 years old in his funerals. The family's funerals were on this day. One more thing about this where it's like, why in the world would he have all these kids over and invite them for a party? It's, it seems very much like sociopathic behavior. Almost like there's extremes with them. They don't know what the norms are and they always do things in extremes. So I'm just wondering if like he thought in his head, because he doesn't have the right reasoning that if he invites all these people over, they would believe that there's no way he did it. I'm certain there's a lot of things that would have went a lot further and maybe a lot more questions answered if they would have went to court, but he pleaded guilty. It was a mixed report from everybody for the detectives they had other parents friends parents saying that nick was a good kid and other parents saying that they weren't so certain nick was a good kid nick got in trouble a few times for drinking alcohol nick claimed his mother was an alcoholic you know there's like oh, a lot of things that were said some of nick's friends said he was a class clown 
Others said he was a bully. Some of his friends said that he physically abused his younger brother, Greg. Okay. Uh, we were all over the place with this, which is typical of a sociopathic behavior. Other reports indicate that Nick was, in, was angry because his parents wanted him to join the family on a trip to Western Maryland while he wanted to stay in Timonium with his friends for his birthday, his 16th birthday. There was a psychiatrist hired by the defense that said Nicholas talked about the murders like he was talking about taking out the trash. That's not good. That's a bad he look. He did, though. If you watch it in the interview, he just flatly, just coldly. One of the worst things I've seen, like, just blah, 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 blah. Just like that. Like, nothing happened. Like, yeah, I walked down the street and, yeah, uh, that's how it was. It was just like that. Just like Ooh, another day. So nonchalant. Yeah. So there was also some kids. Interesting. Also, some kids that said before the murders occurred on the school bus, uh, some kids said that Nick talked with friends about killing his family because he wanted his father's money and they ignored him because they thought he was joking about it. So that wasn't your friends, guys. (laughs) Mm. Well, but also, right in the norm, right? That's the normal way of thinking. But maybe it tells you he talks like that quite often they overlook it because oh. he's saying such extreme things so much that they're like Psh, whatever nick shut up you know what i mean oh true i was thinking That's about really that after like, i don't know i could be wrong and so nick showed emotion and was crying at his sentencing which i find to be ridiculous okay and, and you guys can watch it and you can form your own opinions i and i'm you know i've had children and i have seen plenty of children and I've taken care of plenty of teenagers of all yeah. kinds during my years. I've seen kids in crisis. I've seen kids who aren't like it. This to me was not even believable. I, I can't, I couldn't even err on a possible believable side of this. It did not look believable at all. So he, in the courtroom, he apologized to the relatives who continued to support him. Like everyone else's controversial and contradicting stories, even Nick's stories contradict themselves. Nick claimed that while walking home from a friend's house, he decided to kill his parents. He said that he wanted to be able to eat dinner alone without being criticized or slapped. I just, I don't even understand that concept right there because like, if you take all of this and think about the family members that he's apologizing to and everything in the courtroom and think about this... And try to think about your own kids or your sister's brothers, whoever you want to think about. Put them in the situation. I didn't hear any reports during the sentencing or from the defense from teachers, counselors, coaches, other family members, the pediatrician, you know, the school guidance counselor. I don't I don't care. I don't know. Other parents were like, I was there. When Nick said he was slapped, he had a bruise. Or Nick told me he just couldn't be in the house anymore. He ran away and came to my house. That didn't happen, Shay. None of that happened. Yeah. So I'm really having a hard time. And you've got two other teenage boys. It's not like you got three split kids. The other boys are right behind him, 13 and 11. Where's all the reports from those boys saying this is an abusive house? Well, and it's so interesting to me after, like, reading that Turpin 13 case, um how nobody knew that they were being abused and like all 13 kids were being abused. But there were people who like, at least the neighbors were like, 
yeah, we didn't think they were being abused, but they were also super weird and only came outside to, like, mow the grass. So, like, there was still that vibe of, like, huh, maybe keep an eye on them. But, like, with stuff like this, it's, like, it doesn't seem like anybody even considered, hey, something could be up. I've seen so many teenagers act out, and, yeah, they all do different things, and we all think differently. However, if he just wanted to be able to eat alone on his birthday or he just wanted to do something why didn't he call his grandparents or just show up at their house why didn't he just drive his car over there and run away and say i'm tired of them i'm just gonna spend the weekend over here the story doesn't add up so nick went on to say that once he got home he used his father's own nine millimeter pistol to murder his entire family this is quite interesting right here in his own words he said he was in a quote trance like state end quote when he committed the crimes. I feel like maybe he was in a trance-like state only because I know something else that happened later on in that house. Like, could it be that something's going on in that house? Because did he really, this is really hard. Like, did he really intend to do this while he was at a sleepover with three other friends? Or did something happen and he snapped? You know what I'm saying? I'm, like, it doesn't I'm interested. It doesn't make sense that he's at his friend's house. You'd think he would have came up with a much better plot to have all this go down. And, I mean, the fact that he knew his friends were going to say he wasn't in the house, he I know he knew they were going to do that. It just, it doesn't, to me, it doesn't make sense. It almost makes sense the beginning of his story. He went to go get the keys. But then I don't know what happened after that. I'm wondering, did he go into the house? And I don't know. What I don't know. It's very strange what happened. Going to get the car keys seems like something any 16-year-old would do. However, the story right, starts yeah. right there not making sense. And I don't know why the detective doesn't ask him. Maybe he doesn't feel like it's relevant. But the whole story starts out. He sat in his car in the driveway waiting for the lights to be out in the house. Um, How did he even get in the car? He didn't have the keys. Okay, so I was thinking about that. I was like, was the car unlocked? Did he already go in, get the keys, and then was just like full of crap and was like, mm, I kind of feel like killing them today. Yeah, so that gets important. My thought on that is I had teenagers and I certainly kept the car keys in my bedroom when I slept because I know what teenagers do. And I also made sure those cars were locked every night. So if his parents were smart enough to keep the keys in their bedroom and to check out everything, I'm sure they made sure the car was locked. But, you know, it could happen that maybe they didn't check it that night. By the way, just to let you know, remember when I said he was playing video games with his friends and he even went and hung out at the mall with them the next day? Before he decided yeah. to go back home. Uh, by the way, one of the boys during the interview was like, oh, yeah, I remember something. Because the detective's like, I'm going to leave you and I'm going to come back. And I want to make sure that you're telling me 100% of the truth. You know, these the detectives pushing these boys individually by themselves. Yeah. And so he goes back in and the one boy who's super nervous is like, I thought of something. I thought of something. And this poor kid, he just looked so nervous. It was so sad for this kid. Like, I'm sure this boy is traumatized. Um, he said, I thought of something. We were at the mall and Nick pulled the car keys out of his sweater pocket. And the detective was like, what? Oh, and the boy was like, yeah, he even like joked about it. I was like, oh, I guess I had the keys the whole time. I didn't even know it. All right. All right. So does that even make sense? He had, he basically told on himself, he had his car keys the whole time. So if he had them the whole time, I don't know. Was the whole other part of the story made up? Like, did he really sit? in his car at all he had the keys i don't know i mean the parts that i do know is those boys weren't making stuff up (laughs) like they they were scared Um, to death and they were just telling what they knew 
you know? Yeah, they're not trying to get a prison sentence, too. Right. And so also, by the way, the detective said that Nick took the time to make the murders look like a burglary gone bad. But it's Yeah, that's what he, like, ran out saying. Yeah, it was just like a very spur-of-the-moment thing, and it didn't look right to them. I don't know. I mean, it'll be up to our listeners to decide that if he's guilty or not guilty. I mean... Or to what extent he's guilty or whatever, but he definitely admitted to it. He definitely said he did it. There was not one thing I heard of serious abuse, and I don't want to dismiss mental abuse or emotional abuse. Those are real Mm -hmm. things, but I just didn't see where Nick said, listen, for years I went to this person or this person or this person and told them I couldn't take this anymore. There just was nobody in the defense pulled in to say that okay so nick claimed that he committed the murders because his parents were abusive alcoholics however nick was caught a few times abusing alcohol himself some members of nick's family like his extended family supported the claims of abuse but this did not help him in the courtroom and how could it because his brothers weren't there to even corroborate any sort of abuse like kind of on your own kid Surely, if he was truly a victim of abuse, his two younger brothers were innocent and needed to also be saved, right? Like, that's what would make sense. Right? So doesn't that more support the theme of he did this for money? Side note, our little Mysterion listeners. Um, I was having this conversation with my husband last night about, you know, which side makes more sense on this. You know, you want to go down both sides. You want to be fair. And then I'm thinking about him like we were talking about it. and. Doesn't it make sense if he really is going down the money route? He didn't leave his brothers there on purpose. Yeah, because then he doesn't have to split it. He doesn't have to split it, but also he didn't leave. And he made it very clear that if they weren't there, then they would have to believe what he said. So yeah, exactly. He doesn't have to fight them and they don't get anything mm-hmm. because if he would have got blamed for the murders, his two brothers would have still been there and they would have been able to fight to keep everything instead of him. So we were talking about this, me and my husband, we were like, this is scary. This is, this is really shows the brilliance of this boy's mind. He knows he's going to inherit everything. People's life insurance policies. And we, we even came up to this conversation, you guys on your life insurance policies. Does it exclude being able to give your life insurance policy to your child if they kill you? I don't think so. Oh, think about that. Well, but think about it. You write up this big, huge will. You make this whole estate. You do all this stuff. Do they not give the stuff to your child as you deem them to give it to them if they kill you? I don't I don't think that's a thing. I don't yeah, think they the can caveat? take that away. I don't think you can take that away. Honestly, I don't think there's any legal ramification to take that away. And if his brothers aren't there, instead of it being split up between three brothers, guess who gets it all? This little butthole. So is it not the perfect crime? Yeah. He did, he did it as a juvenile. <laughs> right. But also he did it as a juvenile thinking all is well. And I'll be rich. Yeah. I'll get out in a few years because I'm just a kid. Da, da, da. Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's terrifying. I really hope that wasn't his thought process, but I feel like you're right. Mm-hmm. And that makes it like... It, so much worse like it's already bad you can't really get much worse but that it made it worse but i wonder though so i'm only saying this because i you know i had teenagers and we go through very rough times and yeah one of my teenagers was a little rougher than the others and that happens you know we're all different and 
I wonder if the parents had suspicions about things with him already, because I believe Mm -hmm. that nine millimeter gun was not just laying out. I think it was locked up and that's the key that was the detectives found under his bed. The detectives asked Nick during the questioning about the key under his mattress and say that they found it. And Nick just nonchalantly is like, how do you know that's the only key to the gun cabinet? Sir. Okay. That's what he does. Exactly. So I'm wondering if the parents already knew there was some issues going on. And I, I have to wonder in retrospect, because we, you know, it's important to learn from these things. If his parents would have told him, listen, if anything happens to us or your brothers, I'm going to make sure in the will you get nothing. Would that have changed the outcome? I'm just curious if we all were to all of us who have troubled teenagers who we think might be very manipulative and very cunning and maybe going the wrong way besides trying to help them the best we can. If, if you tell them straight to their face, especially if you have assets, you're not getting anything. I'm going to make sure it's in detail. You will be excluded. If you are any part of any bit of any kind of death assault or anything to anybody in this family, you're excluded from every single thing. I wonder if that's something that might have changed this boy from doing this. I feel like he would have just gotten smarter about it, unfortunately. Like, I still, I feel like he would have just, like, hired someone and hoped he didn't get caught. I mean, he probably still would have, but I feel like he would have just been sneakier. It's like they always say, like, strict parents raise raise the sneakiest kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Okay, so in court, Browning portrayed himself to be too overcome by emotion to read a statement of apology to his relatives, so his attorney instead took over and read it for him. It said in part, quote, I so badly want to take away your pain, unquote. Soon after, prosecutors played a phone call of a conversation Wednesday between Browning and a friend named Stephanie, where Nick says, quote, I hate justice. You need to break in here and break me out, unquote. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to pause myself because I freaking knew he was going to play some, like, fuckboy card and be like, oh, can't believe I'm in here, Stephanie. God, just come get me, babe. I love you. Here's the thing. I get- So I'm thinking teenagers. I'm trying not to look at it from an adult perspective, but if I was 15 or 16 and I was friends with somebody for a long time, I could absolutely not believe that they would do that. Like I've never seen any of that. And then he, he called me. I feel like maybe she might have just been like, what happened? Like maybe she had questions. She wanted to ask him like, what is going on? Like I could see a teenage girl going, what is going on with you? What happened? Are you okay? Like what's, I could see someone doing that. You know? Yeah, that's true. Like, kind of more analytical. Like, um, hey, bud, the hell is this, friend? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but you got to keep going with what he said during that conversation with Stephanie. Oh, God. Okay, here we go. He asked if she heard about the convicted killer who recently escaped from Maryland prison and told her that that would be him sometime next year. That's what Nick said to her. And then the state's attorney, who apparently found this conversation within two days time which was crazy because obviously that's a hard thing to do like you think your case is done this boy has already said he's guilty and so obviously he thought it doesn't matter what i say now they're not going to know in two days time but guess what that state's attorney did his job (laughs) and he pulled Uh, these conversations right out to talk to the judge before he got sentenced So the attorney said, quote, these are hardly the words of someone wracked with guilt and remorse. 
These are the words of a dangerous killer, unquote, said the assistant state's attorney, Leo Ryan Jr. There were also controversial images presented by prosecutors and attorneys, and this ended with a jovial jailhouse phone call and an emotional, tearful courtroom apology. Okay, so Browning's relatives, including his grandparents, aunts, and uncles, stood behind him. Several of them wrote letters asking Judge Bollinger to show leniency and backing up claims that Browning was abused by his parents. Okay, so Browning's maternal grandfather, so that's Nick's mom's father, in quote says, I have no doubt that Nick was mentally and physically abused for most of his life and that Tammy, that's his mom, Tamara, her nickname, obviously mm -hmm. Tammy, chose to become an enabler during the last few years of her life, end quote. That statement is not only damning, but tragic altogether in one sentence. It basically, to me, implies there's no doubt that maybe he was mentally and physically abused. And then towards the end, she enabled him to do the things he was doing. I mean, it, it does make sense from this, his mouth, obviously he didn't live in the home, but it does make sense for him what he said. It does make sense because when you do something like, you know, when you have somebody who's on drugs or somebody who drunk drank alcohol for a long time they messed up for so many years to overcompensate for what they did lots of times mm -hmm. they become enablers yep and that could be a thing his her her father could have saw that maybe you know she started to give in to him more often which was enabling him because she was trying to make up for what she had done in the past and that you know <sighs> all right no, I'm but these are all just, I'm, you know, this is not truly what happened. I don't want to bash this family in any way. I'm just going along with statements and things that were said, you know. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Nick goes on to, he said in quotes, my home life had become much more toxic to myself than I ever thought possible, end quote. But, you know, you have those relatives, but you have relatives that were not so understanding. And Lots of articles I read and lots of news reports and stuff tended to not talk about the relatives that weren't understanding. So when I did find things on that, I was like, oh, how convenient that people kept leaving that out of the story, you know? Interesting. So John Browning's sister, so the Nick's father's sister, which would have been his aunt, Sally, mm -hmm. um, wrote to the judge asking, quote, did he actually think he was going to be charged as a juvenile and would walk away from his crimes? End quote. And then... The family all apparently, you know, gets together all these that are supporting him and tells the judge that they want him to be sentenced to the Patuxent, and I'm not sure I'm saying that right, Patuxent Institution in Jessup, Maryland, which is a maximum security facility that offers both psychological and educational programs. And it's just okay. over 30 miles away from Cockeysville, which makes it convenient for the kid and for the family. And I get it. I mean, like, I guess that's the least you would do as a family member is try to fight for him to get some kind of psychological help. help. Right. So he did serve part of his sentence there. And by the way, he added a profile to a prison pen pal website. Um, I don't know what's going on yeah. in Maryland where I don't understand. I don't understand in Maryland why, you know, convicted murderers can have pen pal websites and compete in poetry contests and wear normal clothes, by the way. Um, yeah, I found all of this during my investigation here uh he has several pictures in normal clothes jeans gray t-shirt with gray shoes matching uh with beautiful baltimore backgrounds in the pictures and you know he competes in poetry contests and writing contests every year it's all on websites on platforms 
I don't understand that. I don't want to take away civil, you know, basic human rights. However, when you're a convicted murderer and we put you in prison, why are you allowed to write to other people in the public and ask them to write you? Anyhow, he did serve part of the sentence there. Uh, Browning's relatives declined comment after the hearing, of course. Prosecutors bristled at the way the defense portrayed Browning's parents, who were respected in the community. They were very disgusted by it. Uh, one of them said they can't stick up for themselves. Um, Assistant State's Attorney S. Ann Brope said after the sentencing, quote, everyone has been murdered except the one person who stands to gain by making the claims that were made in court today, end quote. So there's a lot of people who found it disgusting and deplorable that he, you know, the whole courtroom basically was dragging these parents through the mud. Uh, neighbors were upset. Co-workers were upset. They're like, these were upstanding people. They tried their hardest and they were good parents. And basically they just got trashed in the courtroom. Yeah, that's messed up. Um, so defense, the defense attorneys asked um, Bollinger to allow Browning to serve all of his life terms at the same time. Of course they did. Meaning um. he would be eligible for parole earlier. The prosecutors asked for consecutive licenses, which would be one after the other, ensuring it will be at least 23 years before Browning can have his first parole hearing. Did you hear what I said? How many years? 20. That's it? Yes, we have it. Me and my husband had this conversation last night. You killed four people in cold blood. Like, they and were not strangers. sleeping. They were sleeping. There's no way you can justify that those two boys were hurting you or harming you in any way. And all four of their lives are worth six years each. Hmm. That's good to know. I, I can't even, I don't even understand how they got 23 years. It's disgusting. I was appalled more at the sentencing than anything else. 23 years, you killed four people and you're getting 23 years and he's still not happy with that. Okay, well, I'm not happy with you, sir. So frick off. Yeah, so the only good thing about that is in Maryland, if you get a life sentence, you have to be approved by the governor to be able to get parole. So good. even though he's up for parole in 23 years, the governor of the state of Maryland would have to give him the okay for that. And that hasn't happened in Maryland since 1994. Can Maryland please just change that law? Because why even give him an opportunity after they shoot four people in cold blood with no remorse? I don't understand. Oh my god, and imagine the families of, like, the victims of, like, even people who are unrelated to this crime. Drug deal's gone wrong, and now they have this murder charge on their head, and the family of the victims in Maryland are like, okay, well, can't wait for six years when he gets to get out and do his thing again. Great. It's insane to me. Bollinger recommended that Browning be committed to the Patuxent Institution, a maximum security psychiatric facility with a program for youthful offenders. He suggested Good. that he was not entirely swayed by any of the explanations of Browning's motives. In other words, he was like, he's not sure that either side or that any explanation for Browning is, is believable. Like sufficient. Yeah. yeah. So quote, he says, the judge, the question of whether his actions were just diabolically evil is up to almighty God. Ooh. I know a judge said that. So he sentenced him to two to serve two of the life terms consecutively, meaning he could be yeah. eligible for parole in 23 years with good behavior. Eventually, he was incarcerated in the Western Correctional Institution in Cumberland, Maryland, about 145 miles from his home and in a poorer part of Maryland. 
So he was finally forced to go to Western Maryland after all, which is what some of the family members were fighting for him to be in the most secure lockdown place there is because he's a murderer. That's what they said. So guess what? That's not the end of the story. Of course. So I wanted to go all the way through the story. So I tried to keep up with him a little bit. And in January 17th of 2014, which is six years after his killings, right? Or 2000, yeah. sorry, five years. I can't add, apparently. It's okay. Math is hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. According to CBS Baltimore, Nick appeared in a Baltimore County courtroom January 17th, 2014, which was a Friday, asking for a reduced sentence six years no. after the murders of his parents and brothers. Bye. Uh, what? Like, so attorneys for the now 21-year-old, he's now 21, not now, but at this time, he was 21. Yeah. We're trying to argue that by slightly altering his sentence and allowing him to take part in a youth offender program, Nicholas Browning might have a shot of getting paroled someday. So no, here you. you have the exact same issue. The boy is manipulating the system in any way possible, and he's super smart and brilliant. So he's getting his attorneys to try to just alter that sentence a tad because he knows he'll be able to get out if they do. Mm-mm, no. The judge was not having Browning, is, the judge was not having it was like nope sorry and he's now serving two consecutive life sentences after confessing of course to the murders um and they brought back up exactly what was said during the interview again you know to of nick during this time you know the police were like do you remember where you shot your dad on his body nick's answer in the head like that just like that in the head the police said how about your mom nick in the head Police, your brothers too then? Nick, the head. Police, why did you do that? Nick, I figured it would be quicker. So they brought this back up during this time period of him saying he wanted a changed sentence. So Browning's attorneys asked a judge to consider reducing the sentence, which would allow him to qualify for special programs at the Paduk Cent Institution and in turn perhaps one day even be eligible for parole. And uh, prosecutors were like, "Uh uh-uh, this crime was so heinous. That Nicholas Browning should never get out of jail, said Robin Coffin, the prosecutor. Before the judge made his decision, Browning spoke briefly in court, saying words can't adequately describe what I did. He also said he would give his own life if he could just take it all back. And then, guess what? Oh, and then his little pen pal, because now he's got a pen pal. His pen pal starts talking and says, for a 15-year-old boy to do something like that, there's obviously something wrong in the family. Michael Gaffney, his pen pal, said. Gaffney became Browning's pen pal and now visits him monthly in prison. Michael, he was damn it. one of Browning's few supporters inside the courtroom. And he said, quote, I was really hoping that the court would consider all the facts surrounding the case, end quote. Here's my problem with the fact that a convicted murderer is allowed to be a pen pal with the general public and manipulate people who are not so smart to his devious mind. And now this guy has is enabling him, helping mm-hmm. him, and visiting him monthly, which is actually giving him what exactly what he wants, control of someone. Right, it's giving him that encouragement. And that victim, like, yeah, you're right, you didn't do anything wrong. And Nick can be like, I know, pity me. I know, right? Poor Nick. Poor but the baby. judge denied <laughs> it. The judge sent him back to prison for life and was like, uh, no, you're not getting a reduced sentence. The prosecutors were like, Browning killed his parents because he didn't want anyone telling him what to do and that he killed his brother so he wouldn't have to share an inheritance. Mm, Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know, right? Come on, Maryland. 
get this together. I don't understand this. So when he was, by the way, when he was like advertising for pen pals, because this is a real thing. Oh my like, God. It's a real site. Like it's a real thing. Oh, and I yeah, get it for it. some inmates. Like I, I don't want to take this away from everybody. Right. Because, Mm-mm. you know, inmates, people make mistakes. I get that. Yeah, and when we're all people. human. And especially for people who are going to be released back into the public, we don't want to treat them like a caged animal where they have no social life because they're going to be back in society. We want them to be able to mesh back into society, right? But with convicted murderers like this, I feel like, I I almost feel like if you're going to be in prison for the rest of your life, you shouldn't be writing the general population outside of the prison walls. Leave them alone. That's how I feel. <laughs> so anyway, the site is called writeaprisoner.com. It's imprinted <laughs> on Nick's picture. That's how I knew what it was. And oh. yeah. And he writes on there. As you can imagine, prison isn't prison isn't overflowing with people in whom you want to confide. And oh then God. he puts, I take my pleasures and the little things now, rather conveniently, given my circumscribed privileges, music is certainly one of those. On the inevitable difficult days, a quiet afternoon in my cell with some good music is a diverting metaphorical escape. I'm partial to indie rock. Of course you are. This boy. In an earlier blog post from his cell, a brazen statement read, I struggle with whether it's obscene for a murderer to write. It's a wonderful break from the monotony of this place, and I always try to write with a desire to never take myself too seriously. A sense of humor even if sometimes of the gallows variety has gotten people through much worse situations than my own. Like these are all things that he wrote on the advertisement to write him as a pen pal. Sir, what's worse than your own? You slaughtered your entire family. I would love to know. Yeah. So I, I struggle with this. I really struggled with this. I mean, you know, so he's 30. He uploads casual snaps of him smiling in a pair of jeans in a bid to find someone to write him. Oh, by the way, Shay, I forgot to inform our listeners. Also, during his little summer camp session here with pen pals and stuff, he has obtained his bachelor's degree and is working on his MBA. Sir, shut up. My question is how? How is a convicted felon, a murderer, a convicted felon murderer going to college in prison? They do that. You know what's crazy is I think about that a lot. The fact that inmates have a better education than my dumbass. It must be a state thing because I know you can't do that in Florida. You can get your GED and you could like do like technical things, but you cannot take no bachelor's degree and work on a master's. And who's paying for it? I would I, I would hope that Maryland is all in an uproar right now and going, we are not paying for convicted felons who are going to spend the rest of their life in prison to get their bachelor's and master's degrees when we can't even pay for our own children to get them. Yeah, I do wonder if it is their commissary money, for example, or if it really is taxpayer. Like, that would be really interesting to find out. I would be very intrigued to know if taxpayers are paying for convicted felons who are going to be in prison the rest of their life. We're not talking about a young kid who made a mistake who needs to get back into society. Like, well, anyways, his, his eerie profile finished quote, I've tried my best to make some semblance of a life here. I've been incredibly fortunate to have family and friends who have taught me so much, shown me so much love. They have helped me to grow beyond the the scared, angry and broken child. I was, I'd love to hear from you. End quote. Goodbye. You're done. I mean, is this summer camp? I don't understand why convicted killers who are going to spend the rest of their life in prison are pen palling 
the general public. I don't understand how they're obtaining bachelor's degrees and master's degrees and are manipulating the general public. I don't understand how this is going on, but apparently in Maryland, this is going on. Okay, so here's the part where I said I was going to surprise you, Shay. Here it comes. You ready? All right. I don't feel that I am, but yes. <laughs> it's always my mission in life to try to find something that I can surprise Shay with. So when I found this, I knew for sure I was going to get her. So this is where it definitely gets interesting. Because while I was trying to wrap everything up, I was like, wait, what is this? What is this? On February 8th, 2023, this year just happened. Police like responded weeks ago. Yes, absolutely. What two weeks ago now? Two weeks mm -hmm. to the day, almost. Police responded to a crisis situation. It was Wednesday, a Wednesday afternoon, at the same home on Powers Avenue in Cockeysville, Maryland, where Nick Browning killed his entire family in 2008. I mean, what? February okay. 8th, guys. February 8th. Remember when he killed his his parents? February first so do we know what happened in this house oh yes oh the yes yes time? let's get there okay. so i was just blown away by that so baltimore county police responded because it's in it's the county's name is baltimore the city is not baltimore the city's cockeysville but okay. the county is baltimore responded around 2 30 p.m on wednesday february 8th 23 to do a wellness check for a possible suicide attempt to a home in cockeysville okay so Wait a minute here. We're looking at the dates and February 8th and February 9th was a thing back in the day. That's when he turned 16, right? That's his birthday, February 9th. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if we're off a day because was 2009, 2008? Was it 2008 or 2000? Eight. It was 2008. Was that a leap year? Yeah, I was wondering that. I'm like, all right, mathematicians, do we know? not a leap year. So this isn't a leap year in 2023, but I think 2008 was a leap year because I think it's 4, 8, 12, right? So if it was, I wonder if that's why we're off a day. I'm just coming up with anything now. I don't know. Anyhow, so what happened in this house is the police were called and they came out to do a well check. Uh, the father escorts the officers into the home where he mm -hmm. takes them downstairs to the basement, which is where I believe Nick got the gun from. Remember that. And uh, the father's last name is Linthesum. It's either Linthicum or Linthesum. I think it's a sum. Linthesum's father goes downstairs with the officers and David Linthesum, who is 24 years old, is laying on the bed with his assault rifle and fires 15 shots approximately mm. at his father and the officer. They Holy both immediately shite. start running, right? They both immediately start running. And some reports said that the father was shot, but I could not find proof or a real report, a real good report that said that. However, what I did find yeah. is the officer was definitely shot. He didn't even know it. The officer didn't know until later. Oh. And he was wearing his bulletproof vest, thank thankfully. Um, so he had yeah. a high-powered rifle, and he was threatening suicide, and that's why the father called the police. How uncanny is this? Like, how, we're talking about the basement where the other firearm was at, and we're talking about a 24-year-old who was threatening suicide, and again, it's the father. 
who calls police and it is the father who Nick keeps saying he had a problem with. Like, it's very weird, right? Okay. Uh, so this very kid ran, by the way. So I guess he, he scared oh. the father and the police enough that he ended up getting out and he ran away. And it was like a three-day manhunt where they basically locked down the entire area and the schools and everything for like three days. Um, an additional cop was shot by David and the police car was stolen. And in the early hours of Friday, February 10th, 2023, the police were able to get David into custody by surrounding him in a field near Falston Mall after about an eight hour standoff. So David Emery Linthesum is facing several felonies. Um, I don't know what's going on in that house or what's going on in the Conkeysville, Maryland area, but some neighbors have said that that house is haunted. Mm. And I'm wondering if it is, because I mean, we're close to like almost to the day of different things that happen. So this kid who's 24 is obviously going to be in prison for attempted first degree murder. Many residents told 11 News that, that this week's events were stressful, but not entirely surprising, saying they've seen law enforcement activity at the Linthesim's home in the past. And by the way, court records show the suspect's father, uh, John Linthesim has a 2019 mm -hmm. child pornography conviction. And while in the process of oh. executing that search warrant at that home for that case, police found illegal drugs belonging to David Linthesim, for which he pleaded guilty to charges and was sentenced to two years of probation. So, My Lord. by the way, you know how I like to look things up. So that made me, that led me right to look at the county property site, appraiser site and see exactly when these people bought this home, because I'm thinking, is this home like turning over every year or two? You know what I mean? I wanted to see like what's going on. Yeah. So I went back and I looked and the home was sold in 2010 to the Linthesum family. I do only see John Linthesum on there. So I don't know if there's a mother. I didn't see any articles about a mother. I didn't see anything about a mother. All I see is the boy and the father. But think about this because I I really, this one just clicked last night. Uh, Nick was a minor when he went to prison and there was nobody else to be able to claim the house or anything else. Right. But the house was sold. Right. The house was sold in 2010 for $475,000 in May of 2010, which is three months after Nick's wow. 18th birthday. Did he sell it? it? Exactly. I would love to know, but the link doesn't let you like look at the documents. Some states let you look at the documents. Uh, the link didn't let me look at the document that shows who sold it, but it's listed as being sold under um, his father's name. So, John Browning. So it's Maybe a little confusing. Maybe it was like the state. Like they were like, oh, well, you had to claim it within X amount of time. You didn't claim it. Boo-hoo, it's getting sold. Yeah, but the estate would all go to the son unless legally somebody could take that away from him. And really, if they had a will written up, and I'm thinking this guy was an attorney, he had a will written up to where everything went to his three children. I guarantee he did. Mm -hmm. So it's just it's just kind of convenient that the house got sold three months after his 18th birthday, which is enough time to list a house and sell it. Oh, easily. So where did that $475,000 go? Right, I was wondering that. Like, where is that sitting? <laughs> I mean, I, I hope <laughs> I hope if that money was given to him, that's what paid for the college classes he took or whatever. But I think it's it's pretty sad that really you can't even 
pull the money from him. Who are you going to give restitution to? I mean, you could give it to the family members, but they're not fighting about it, apparently. Yeah, they're just chilling at this point. And they're adults. So can you make the restitution order? I don't I don't even know. I mean, like, it was very intriguing for me to see that the house was sold three months after his 18th birthday. Yeah, I do wonder about that. Like, I wonder if that money did go to college or if that money, like, if he is being forced to pay, like, taxpayers, like, you know how there's um, fees associated with prison or what have you, like, lawyer fee. I wonder if it just went there or if it's just, like, chilling in a bank account somewhere. Right. What if it is? What if he's that smart and he's that brilliant and he's got attorneys just holding the money in an account somewhere? Just in case. I mean, obviously, he's wearing jeans and shirts and nice shoes in prison, and he has, you know, money to buy the things he needs, so. Yeah, that's upsetting. I don't love that. So I don't anyhow, have money to buy the stuff I need. Shut up, Nick. <laughs> I almost want to, like, try to figure out if this house has something going on now. There's got to be something paranormal going on here. Yeah, that's effed up, dude. It um makes me think of the Amityville Horror House, like William DeFeo. Mm-hmm. How we did that episode with Brutal Bazaar and Boozy. It's interesting to think that maybe the house itself has something. Right. Because so, just... so think, so I guess let's go back to the 2010 thing. So if John, if John Lindisum bought the house in 2010 and we're in 2023 and the guy's 24. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Oh, he was, he was a kid. A he was 11. He was 11. He was the same age as Nick's youngest brother. 11. Very interesting, right? And then huh. remember, he said, Nick said that he was a scared little kid. Well, obviously, I'm guessing when the court date comes for this boy, who's 24, he's going to say he was scared, too. You know, to be fair, if the dad had, like, child pornography, yeah, I would love to see the deeper story of that. Because it's like, all right. If I'm his sure. Dad... Um, like, we're going to have to follow it. He, um, the 24-year-old yeah. waived his right to a speedy, to the bail, sorry, to having a bail hearing. So I think it's going to be a while before this case goes further. But I mean, you shoot two Mm -hmm. cops, you're going to get time. So it's going to come. It's going to be a case. Yeah, as it should be. I mean, don't do that. Even if your dad's abusing you, don't don't shoot at the guy trying to help you, bro. Don't bite the hand that feeds. It'll be very interesting to see if the 24 year old later says I was in a translate state. (laughs) Yes, I'll be I'll be very interested to listen to our listeners about this area, especially anybody living near this area or who knows somebody else involved in any of this or who has any insight mm-hmm. on it or obviously i can't cover every single thing it would take me forever uh nick has so many things i could just spend hours reading all of his writings that are online and published he is extraordinarily brilliant but very cunning and manipulative and his poems and his writings are so overly done that it's so obvious that he still has these same characteristics they're so Overly done. If you read them, you'll see they're over the top. It's like he changed every word to be an extraordinary word. And it's all very basically, you know, like showy. Yeah. In 2020, he won like the poetry award for the for the prisoners, whatever, for this whole poetry. But it's very much like basically he can't say what he wants to say. So he's using that outlet to basically say, hey, poor me. Somebody needs to think about all these juvenile lifers in here and you know, what am I going to do with my life now? Like, there's lots of comments in there that I'm like, oh, poor Nick. You killed your what whole did, family and you got sentenced to 23 years, right? Yeah, what do you mean your whole life, sir? You're likely going to get out. Shut your pie hole. Oh, I don't I don't think the governor of Maryland's going to look at that story and let this boy out. 
I would be, it would be a sad day if that happened. Yeah, well, I feel like we've seen some crazy crap. So it's like, it's scary to consider that that could happen. Like, I hate that that's even a consideration to have to think of. Yeah, so apparently in Maryland, you know, there could be life with parole. But I, I, I would hope that eventually all the states get to a point to where they're like, if it's life, it's life. Because in several states, if they say life, they ain't playing. Life is until your heart yeah. stops. There's no second chance. There's no third chance. No, you get life, you're done. That's it. Until you die, you're you're not leaving that jail unless you go out in the bag. Yeah, hot take. I kind of agree with that because it's like, all right, listen. I do believe in like special circumstances as far as like mental health, um, you know, and like abuse, and you know, like that girl who got arrested and sentenced who killed her pimp. It's like, well, that's not fair. Because mm-hmm. she couldn't escape. But, mm-hmm. like, things like Nick. Yeah, I have zero. Think about that. I have zero sympathy. I have zero. I just don't. I don't have it. Kids in this world mm-hmm. go through things every single day. And I'm not trying to downplay any bit of whatever he thinks abuse he went through. He had right. so He had so many outlets to go to for help. To go and shoot people and plan it out while they're sleeping beyond me beyond choice. me being able to have sympathy no I, yeah. I just don't have it yeah he really thought about that one mm-hmm. i mean you know for his dad being an attorney and for his them living where they're at one accusation from him from nick about abuse would have put his parents in an uproar he could have done so many other things that just makes sense that this is this kid was not abused so anyhow Story's a little long, but, you know, it's, there's another story coming with it with the other 24-year-old who shot the cops and shot at his dad. So he could have very likely killed his dad had he hit him. Thank you guys so much for listening to this crazy story. You guys truly are, like, our lifeblood with this. Without you, we wouldn't be able to do what we're doing. And we really appreciate all of you guys tuning in each week just to come hang out with us. Yeah, we really do appreciate it. Um, If you guys would like, you can visit our website, cx3podcast.com. You can go to our Instagram at cx3 underscore podcast to slide in the DMs. We have our Facebook, facebook.com slash cx3podcast. But like our Instagram, our website, stuff like that, that's where we're going to post future episode announcements, where we're going to post contest announcements, stuff of that nature. It's really fun. I recommend going and following us just to keep up to date. As always, feel free to drop us some suggestions, constructive feedback, or even just spill the tea with us. We're always, we want to be open-minded in our little circle. Please make it constructive. And, you know, we know that these cases are going to be very controversial. We're going to have people on both sides of the, of the sides here. So just guys, yeah. try to be respectful. And by the way, this is for educational purposes only. You know, we didn't observe any of this, so don't take it as gold it's it, we're just collecting all, all of what we can find and giving it to our listeners yeah we're two ladies with a microphone so don't sue us all of our streaming options viewing options patreon social media all those pages are available in our link tree page at l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e forward slash cx3 underscore podcast in addition we need each of our mysterions help every mysterion who helps us is another step closer to another episode 
of us with microphones. So some free <laughs> ways that you can support our show are to go and rate, follow, like, share, and subscribe. And you can also help us by supporting our patreon.com forward slash CX3 underscore podcast.com. Mm-hmm. Thanks again, Mysterions. This is Jen. And this is Shay. From the CX3 podcast signing out. Until next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>